Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sec Tools podcast by Infosec Campus. This episode we have Fortis Hansis with us, um author of Encrack. Let's hear from him. So thanks thanks for joining the podcast uh, being this is a Sunday. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No no problem at all. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great. Um I have seen your work um and thought to reach out to you um just to just to get get to know each other and especially um uh, your your journey towards information security and especially on on uh, Encrack uh development path. Mm-hmm. Um so do you do you like to uh start with um explaining how you get into infosec and how you get into um the Nmap field? Right. Um so it, it's it's a kind of a long story so <laughs> I'll I'll try to be as as brief as possible um I guess uh, my my first uh contact with computers was uh when I was very little uh like 3 years old but that was with a Commodore 64 uh basically just playing some Pac-Man games <laughs> and then uh when i was in middle school i started uh uh programming in uh i'm not sure how uh how much of a popular language it is uh, it's a, a programming language for uh basically games 3d games called uh, dark basic and that was my first uh, real you know uh, engagement with uh coding uh so I was trying to make simple you know first person shooters and such and then um uh, after after a few years I I got more serious then I also started my uh degree in uh, computer engineering um and basically in all the free time I had I started doing some research uh of my own and for some reason i was uh, more attracted to network security so i started uh, reading articles on uh, raw sockets and how you could create your tools to uh, basically do packet crafting and create your own you know uh, tcpip uh, uh datagrams uh, or your own uh, whatever protocol packets um and then obviously i i stumbled across nmap because it's uh quite of a popular tool um i started reading some of its source code um actually i think i i first started reading um uh the netcat source code which was much simpler and uh both tools were written in c so that was actually quite convenient because it it was my favorite language um and i i had realized by then that that was the main language that i needed to learn in order to you know delve into more of the uh computer security internals and um that that's how i got to that point that was my my first contact with with nmop about back then i was i think it was i was 19 or 20 years old and um uh, i didn't i wasn't that part of the community yet um but after after one year or so i remember i was uh watching a a movie which again wasn't really a popular one it was called the uh 
uh, 13 Game of Death. It was basically a Thai thriller. And uh, I knew that NMAP was um, quite popular with movies. So uh, apparently, you know, Hollywood realized that instead of showing flashy graphics that made no sense when, when they wanted to depict it, uh, hacking scenes, um, they realized that NMAP was a much better choice. And you can see that with uh, Matrix Reloaded. Yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, <laughs> recently, they have uh, they have also shown it in Ocean Eight, and I think they have posted oh, yeah. it in my blog as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that movie, the the Thirteen uh, Game of Death, uh, there, I I noticed that at some point, uh, Nmap was uh, was used by the uh, the main uh, actress, and uh, so I think that was actually my first contact with the with the Nmap community I, I just sent an email to uh, to I don't remember Nmap dev uh, or Theodor himself directly and I told them you know I, I saw Nmap in that uh, in, uh, in that movie uh, you can add it in the you know in that movie section in your website uh, but obviously that was you know nothing nothing that important the first real uh, engagement was uh, when I was uh, playing around with uh, the TCP/IP stack of uh, of Linux and uh, BSD, and um, I was also at that time reading the Art of Software Security Assessment uh, by Mark Dowd, Justin Shu, and um, and others, and uh, it, it's considered, you know, one of the the bibles of. Uh, one of the main books you have to read when you do source code auditing, uh, and, and it's a great book, especially chapter six, if I remember correctly. Um, and um, there was a section about um, doing a validation in uh, functions that have to do with uh, packet handling. So obviously, because Nmap relies a lot on uh, you know packet crafting and uh, also. Uh, uh, packet reading because it, it interfaces with uh, lib pickup. Uh, there, there was a you know a, a certain number of functions that were quite complicated because they had to you know um, figure out uh, lengths and parse uh, the the headers on TCP and IP and a bunch of other things. Uh, so in the book there was a a checklist of things to you know to check when when you were uh, creating uh, similar kinds of functions. So I said, okay, since since I'm reading that, it's it's a good uh, practice. It would be a good practice for me to actually apply those uh, sets of rules uh, in the Nmap source code. So I did that, and, and I realized that you could um, you could trigger an out of uh, bounds uh, uh, memory access bug. But the funny part of with that was that for it to be triggered you had to actually create a really uh, a really weird packet from 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 the side that would send obviously that packet to to Enmo. so for uh if you were running linux the linux kernel by default didn't let you change that uh that part of the of the datagram even if you used raw sockets which is a bit weird because when you when you're using raw sockets, you are supposed to have you know full control of the packets and do whatever you want with them. But apparently, I think it was the IP uh, datagram length um, that particular field. If even if you changed it, then the Linux kernel would override 
uh, with the correct value. Uh, but uh, I said, okay, since I, I want to be able to use that, uh, I'll just recompile the Linux kernel. So <laughs> I did that, and I, I thought, you know, from from the attacker side, if there was someone that wanted to, you know, hack back someone that was uh, port scanning them, they could might have, they might as well have a, you know, uh, a, a, a Linux kernel that was modified for that particular, you know, job. So I did that and then was able to, to trigger that bug and I wrote a, you know, a big analysis on the, uh, at the NMAP uh, development community. And I think that was my first you know, real uh, uh, bug that, that, I, uh, that I gave them, uh, which, was, which was quite, quite interesting uh, thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. It's a long journey though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems mm -hmm. like you started as a developer and you had a good hand on, um, you know, programming and um, those basic stuff before you get into um, it. Yeah, and I think many people in the security community uh, start like that. I mean, nowadays you also see, you know, system administrators uh, jumping on the infosec uh, wagon. But I think if you have a developer background, it really helps because obviously to you know, to be good at security, you have to understand some fundamentals about operating systems, uh, the TCP/IP stack, uh, and a bunch of other things. So, um, the, the the more um, background you have in that, the more you're able to understand what happens behind the scenes, and you know, not just uh, you know use uh, Metasploit. And and I think what really uh, made uh, you know, my, my engagement with uh, NMAP more serious was uh, the Google Summer of Code, uh, which, by the way, is an amazing program. And um, I mean, especially if you're an undergraduate student, uh, you can gain a lot of experience. And I, I highly recommend that to, to anyone that is, uh, that is in that state. Um, and, and it was... It, it was also funny how that the, the whole thing uh, started. It was uh, 2009 back then, and um, I had already, you know, submitted that uh, out of bounds memory access bug. Uh, I had done some. I think I had done some some additional, uh, you know, fixes uh, and, and uh, contributions to to the NMAP project. Uh, by then, and um, and I, I said this is a, a very good timing. Uh, I mean, I had quite uh, some uh, a considerable amount of free time, I would say, because I was a student, and um, I thought that was a great way to spend my summer. So I applied for a Google Summer of Code, and uh, back then I remember it was uh, the NCAT. Uh, tool that was you know at the beginning uh stages and uh, actually there wasn't you know there wasn't any mention of ncrack anywhere there wasn't any project uh, related to that uh, of course there were two other uh, you know popular brute forcing tools uh hydra and uh, medusa um and um there uh, the the animal community has a uh, has a particular uh, web page that uh, lists the 
you know a, a bunch of ideas related to to the to the to the Google Summer of Code of of each year, and um, you know I, I decided that NCAT seemed quite interesting to me, so I said I, I I'll apply for that uh, as you know one of the main projects to uh, to to develop during uh, Summer of Code, and um, uh, when when. You know, a couple of uh, weeks passed, and uh, I, re- I received an email from Theodore, and uh, he said, "You know what? Um, I have a better idea for you." Um, you know, he he had been thinking for quite some time that he wanted to uh, have a network authentication cracking tool uh, as part of the Nmap project, and uh, he said that would be based on the uh, on the libraries uh, that. You know, uh, the Anima project had developed um, for uh, socket handling. Uh, so uh, there is a library that does uh, uh, that is based on uh, asynchronous event-driven socket programming, uh, uh, lib and soc, and uh, you don't need threads or or forks to to uh, basically uh, uh, be able to. Uh, create parallelism in your uh, connections, and uh, he said, you know, he had a, a number of other uh, requirements that uh, would be uh, part of the of the new Ncrack uh, project, and uh, so you know, we we brainstormed a little bit, and uh, we decided that this is this is actually a very interesting project for us, and that's how I started developing from from scratch um, the 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 Ncrack tool. So you uh, before before NCRAG, you already had experience in like um, uh, reporting some bugs to Nmap or you know improving some of the existing codes in Nmap itself. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's actually one of the the things that uh, you know we suggest, and actually any every open source project suggests uh, potential students applying for the Google Summer of Codes uh, programs should should do beforehand so uh, the more you have contributed before the higher the chances are that you are selected because obviously you know you uh, you uh, set set a bar for you know your skill level and uh, how interested you are in that project and how engaged you are with the with the community behind the project and uh, yeah it's it's actually uh, one of the most important things yeah, I think it's good to um, have a good handle on on the existing source code, so we know the areas where an improvement is required. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the Enmo project is, uh, I mean, it has grown to 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 become a very large project consisting of a number of tools. It's not just a you know like the the simple port scanner that it started. Uh, back when it was published in uh, in Frag, um, and it's amazing to to see how how much uh, the Google Summer of Code students have have contributed to, to the whole project all these years. Most of the you know the all these additional tools like uh, Ncrack, Npink, Ncat, uh, um, parts of, of Zenmap, uh, the Nmap scripting engine. All of these have been written mainly by students during the, the Google Summer of Code, so it's it's quite interesting to to see how much you know 
yeah i think it it's it's that's um, correct i mean as you said it's um, it has grown so big uh, because initially it was just a port scanning tool and now it is more of a complete reconnaissance uh, and and also have authentication tracking and a bunch of other stuffs um mm-hmm. improvising the script engines and and authentication brute force mechanisms etc etc do you see a uh, difficulties or or what is the challenges that you see now when you try to improvise these tools or uh, the functionalities because initially it was um i don't say it's uh, it's easy but compared to today's world um when you have more protection mechanisms and um the the op- the operating system itself is uh, fairly intelligent i would say to detect this kind of packet mechanisms or packet scanning mechanisms and then block some of them and how do you see the challenges in improvising the tools um so so that's a that's a really good question and it has so many uh you know different uh factors that we could analyze first of all uh one of the more interesting cases of uh network scanning in general that i have come across recently because of my uh work at a major uh, healthcare institution is that uh when you use tools um for scanning your network uh to basically uh do some assets inventorying uh because many many enterprises corporations uh oftentimes don't have a you know full inventory of uh their devices and systems especially as people you know bring their own devices and plug them in the network so with uh, healthcare institutions um if if even if you sometimes you can conduct a simple you know version detection or operating system fingerprinting scanning or sometimes even a simple port scanning and uh medical devices on the network are so sensitive that uh even a simple scan can you know break them can make them crash uh, and reboot or you know take them out of out of the network essentially <laughs> so that's an, a very interesting case um and, and basically it, it's not really nmaps um uh, uh the the nmap developments um community's part to to necessarily do something about that but it's how you handle the the tool itself i mean th- there's only so much you can do with with uh uh when you send you know sim packets or or some other uh additional packets to recognize the individual service that is listening on on its port uh you can obviously as a, as an operator of the tool um you know configure the timing how how aggressive you want to be how slow or stealthy you want to be um and i guess that, that that's one part of the equation the other part is how robust your version detection is so uh, now with so many internet of things devices medical devices everything basically is connected to the network so uh it, it's actually interesting to see how how you know much the version detection can 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 do in those cases when it's um uh when it uh, when it needs to recognize uh, some some obscure service or think about for example SCADA uh systems industrial control systems uh, this have some some really uh, you know obscure uh, services that 
normally you don't get to see so often uh, on the internet at least so you don't have a very good um you know basis like a, a, a you know a, a, a database that you can sort of reference to to be able to uh, detect those those services so that's why for example one of the most interesting aspects of the version detection engine is that people can anyone can contribute to a fingerprint to to the to nmaps database and um these are are you know a major uh factor for 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 improving the engine uh the other part is you know using machine learning algorithms to to sort of uh in, improve again the accuracy and precision of this uh, uh of this version detection uh capabilities um so with with pancrack for example for network authentication cracking uh in that regards uh, i've tried to you know uh, to find a golden ratio between accuracy and um, and speed so and that's what i think is the one of the main things that sets enproc uh, apart from other similar brute forcing tools is that when it sees that you know when it detects that the network conditions or the replies from the server you know so, so for example if you get a lot of tcp resets or uh, or timeouts uh, in your uh, connections when it detects that it tries to back off and not uh, accidentally cause a denial of service attack against the server so it has a sort of you know intelligent core engine that tries to figure out these things um, and, and try to find, you know, a, a, a balance between the speed and accuracy. And, and that's a hard thing to do, uh, oftentimes. Um, it's like having a simple, uh, I wouldn't say it's, a, it's similar to TCP, to the TCP congestion avoidance algorithm, because that's even more complicated. And that's something that Nmap tries to replicate up to a point. But uh, Nmap tries to do a similar thing, but on top of TCP. Uh, because it doesn't use raw sockets, it's everything has to be based on on top of TCP. You can, uh, you know, you can run it without even root privileges. So it's uh, simple networking stuff. Yeah. Um, when you when you said the um, before you start um, developing Encrack from scratch, you already knew that there were existing um, authentication brute force tools. Uh, were there any any considerations um, on um, you know building the similar kind of um, technologies or similar similar kind of brute forcing methodologies into Encrack? Uh, what were your main focus um, for building Encrack? So um, I think what I what I just mentioned was one of the main focuses. So to try to you know find that golden ratio. Uh, with with uh, adaptive uh, dynamic uh, network engine, um, that was one of the things. The other is that um, NCROC also interf- interfaces and interacts uh, really well with NMAP. So, for example, one of its uh, nicer features is that uh, you can uh NCRAC can take as input a file that nmap has previously exported so you know that nmap uh, supports uh xml output uh, normal output, type of output so it can take 
some types of these files and then automatically recognize which ports are open from the services you uh, you found to be open from your port scan and then see which protocols it can uh, it, it can it supports as far as authentication is concerned and start automatically cracking them. Um, and the other uh, the other basically nice features is that you have a lot of control over timing options. So you can, and this I haven't seen with, with any other tool, so you can configure not just how many parallel connections you want, you can configure how many authentication attempts per connection, you can configure uh, a maximum timeout for, so when that, that timeout is hit, then you stop cracking the service. You can configure uh, things such as the maximum parallel limits in terms of all the hosts that you're cracking, not just an individual host. So you have that um, granularity of, uh, of all these options. So they can be per, per service, per, per host or, per, uh, or globally. So you want to apply like a maximum connection limit of, I don't know, 100 connections, but then for each host, you want just 10 connections uh, open in parallel at the same time. Um, so you have all this all this control, or you even have timing templates that's similar uh, to what Nmap has, so the minus uh, capital T option, uh, one for really slow, or zero for really slow and stealthy, and five for super aggressive and fast. Um, and this basically gives, um, you know, sysadmins or, or information security professionals uh, quite a bit of control when they when they use it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, when um, uh, I don't know if it's a, if it's a particular use case, but uh, I'm just curious to know: um, is there any, is there any um, uh, use cases? Uh, maybe you can uh, see more um, to use NCRAC uh, from from maybe an NSE. I don't know if that is doable. So uh, you mean if you can uh, execute it from NSE or how it compares with with the NSE? Uh, not really. Script? So, for example, if I'm creating uh, an NSE script, um, can I use mm -hmm. any functionalities of NCRAC, similar like how I import uh, maybe an HTTP library or uh, maybe a spider library that is already existing in, in NSE? Uh, do I have any interface between NCRAC and uh, NSE scripts? Yeah, so, uh, no, unfortunately, you, ca you cannot do that. Um, the way that NCRAC uh, is written is that it, it does have a modular architecture, uh, but it doesn't have, it doesn't really have libraries of its own that you could, you know, import in, in other tools. Um, the, the only, and, and even, even one particular library that I had to basically uh, write myself, which which is based on the, the OpenSSH source code, and that was for the SSH uh, module. Uh, I, I had to modify the OpenSSH uh, client uh, source code so that it it is able to interface with the same way that NCRAC uses its sockets, because uh, OpenSSH uses its own you know socket abstraction layer. And uh, it has, 
um, it, it basically uses um, it, it, its own, you know, parallelism, uh, a, a simple library that use that um, makes parallelism possible. But also, you don't really need parallelism, I guess, in, in when you just uh, uh, are an SSH client. So, but the thing is that you can't just use. There isn't really a library of OpenSSH um, that you could just. Um, uh, be able to, that you're just able to interface with uh, the NSOC library that uh, NPROC uses for its uh, socket uh, layer. So I had to modify all these parts that basically, you know, uh, do any uh, network write or network uh, read. Uh, uh, all these functions that that uh, that had to do with that, and then. Uh, Interface them with uh, with the NPROC SSH module, and that was quite a lot of work. But um, all the other modules are basically just individual um, individual modules. So uh, they implement the authentication phase of each protocol. So for FTP, for uh, I don't know whatever telnet, it's really easy for uh, RDP, which is the most complicated protocol. Uh, I, I have come across at least for authentication. Um, it's uh, basically NCROC implements on its own inside the, the module, the RDP module, uh, all the you know all the packets that need to be exchanged uh, between the RDP server and uh, and the client side, which would be NCROC, um, to to you know to. In- to implement all, all the packets that need to be exchanged until the authentication phase. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, got it. Um, you, you already mentioned the, the challenges um, or, uh, yeah, rather challenges uh, in scanning uh, maybe SCADA networks or um, working on maybe some of the IoT protocols. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you see um, these modern internet technologies like um, IOTs to be very precise um, is influencing NMAP development drastically. Um, you mean in terms of uh, of what aspect of, of development? Um, like maybe an authentication before. So you you see different authentication protocols used used in maybe an IoT, um, though they are actually using a lot of traditional protocols um, in general. But if they use any custom uh, authentication methods or um, a, a, any of these uh, IoT devices influence NMAP development in general? Um, so uh, I wouldn't necessarily say so, but it, it, it really depends. Um, at this point, I think, uh, for example, uh, the NMAP scripting engine already supports a lot of uh, uh, a lot of really a, a great variety of protocols that would need. Um, uh, some additional payloads. So, and that's actually again uh, thanks to different user contributions. Um, as far as authentication is concerned, I would say that mostly, you know, you see uh, web forms, uh, and so it's usually on top of HTTP, and uh, you can basically just if if you want to do those sorts of uh, authentication cracking. Um, attempts you would basically use the HTTP form uh, module and you would just uh, try to parse the the username and password fields and then you would 
use those to, to do the brute forcing. Uh, as for the rest, I would say, what else would you see in, in IoT? You would see um, the UPnP protocol, that's an interesting one. Um, and um, other than that, I'd say sometimes you could see some proprietary, protocol, proprietary protocols that use uh, XML. So in those cases, um, I'm not so sure if, if um, you know, it's even considered uh, appropriate to to publish, uh, uh, you know, parts of those protocols necessarily in, in an open source tool. But I have come across some of these in, you know, in, in security uh, assessments. And uh, usually there, I mean, there's, there's a point uh, up to which you can rely on open source tools. After after a point, you have to write your own custom tools that will, you know, help you uh, exploit or, or, you know, uh, just enumerate a, a complex proprietary protocol. Uh, and usually that, that tool won't be able to be published um, as an open source because, you know, it would be, uh, it would be violating an NDA or, or something. Yeah, but for for open source protocols, as long as you know they are open and um, and out there, I guess NSC has done a really great job at at, uh, at the variety of um, you know things it provides. Yeah, I think I think um, I mean now they have. I don't know more than 500 plus um, NSEs and uh, even in map itself will actually cover up most of the protocols that could, we could imagine mm -hmm. um, and uh, that should ideally cover up um, what is currently running in any internet facing applications and systems yeah yeah um, so um, if, if anyone wants to uh, get into NMAP development, um, whether it is NSEs or, or NMAP code development or contributing to NCRAC or NPing or mm -hmm. any other NMAP projects, um, um, you mentioned that it's, it's good to have a current handhold on the existing project, just, just looking into the code, contribute back what's existing. Um, and to, to get into a Google summer code, uh, what would be the procedure? What do you suggest as a as a optimum path? Uh, so I would say first of all, um, you know, initiate some sort of engagement with the with the NMOC community. Uh, reporting a bug is the simplest thing you could do. For example, so you know, if you are a regular user of NMOC, you at some point you might say it's crashing or you know not reporting the right thing. And that happens with, with every project. So uh, first thing, uh, report the bug, send it to uh, GitHub or the NMOP dev mailing list and start from there. If you can even write a simple fix, that's even better. Uh, the other uh, thing is that with NSC nowadays, it's even easier to contribute, uh, you know, a number of NSC scripts uh, because it uses Lua, which is a scripting language uh, much easier than, you know, writing C or C++ code. Uh, it's uh, very self-contained. Uh, it has, it already supports a huge amount of uh, libraries that you can rely on to, uh, to to write those scripts. 
and uh, it, it can be you know even a very simple thing like um, I don't know a simple enumeration of um, like sp- sending a simple packet and then you know parsing the reply back for a protocol you discovered is out there uh, or something so that's actually a very uh, first one of the very first steps that you can um, make some contribution to um, and the other part is to you know just show that you are interested that uh, there is a uh, there is um, frequent engagement you, you you seem to you know to be able to reply back when you know the any of the nmap developers ask you for some additional um, um, you know stuff for the for for the bug that you reported sometimes for example i i try to um to ask people that report for ncrack uh, to send me some pickup files uh, so some network traffic that has been captured for the you know the bug they they found because that really helps a lot i mean it's sometimes it's really it's really hard to uh you know to pinpoint the exact problem of a bug if you don't have any you know any sort of information especially when it has to do with you know corner cases of implementation of protocols that uh, you know for example it's a I don't know an, an implementation of uh, of of an FTP server that sends something weird at some point and FTP actually would be an easy an easy protocol it might be for RDP uh, like there was a a user, I think that um, uh, that told me that whenever you have a splash uh, s- a screen uh, on, on when you connect to the RDP, then um, you know NCRAC would uh, would not be able to identify that because that's an additional packet that you know in in default installations of uh, RDP servers in all the Windows environments uh, it, it wasn't there. So that's like an extra step that an administrator would take. And I wasn't aware that that would change the way that the authentication phase would work. So send for them to send me, you know, a pickup file would really help uh, because I would see what what these extra packets are in that in that stage. Um, so yeah, yeah, th- things things like that. Um, and um, yeah, and. Basically, if you have codes on uh, GitHub, you know, if a student has uh, uh, already some of his own projects, uh, I remember that uh, I- I'm not sure how, how much it counted back then when I, I first applied for a Google Summer of Code, uh, but that coincided with uh, me writing uh, an article for uh, Frag at that point. Uh, so I, I, I had done some research on uh, on TCP exploitation, and uh, it was later published on uh, Frag uh, number sixty-six. So uh, the the article called uh, "Exploiting the TCP Persist Timer Infiniteness," and I had told you know the the uh, in in my application to uh, to the NMAP project uh, for the Google Summer of Code that you know that's one of the things that I you know, I have personally done, which is related to network security, which, you know, showed my interest in, in you know, network internals and all that. And I think that also counted, like, show that you have done some some things of your own, some, some research. It, it doesn't have to be that thing necessarily, like network internals, but 
like having your own written your own simple tool that does packet crafting or like an extension for some other open source project that is related to, to security. All of these things obviously matter with, and are taken into account in the uh, student selection process. Yeah, that that's a, a, a good advice, um, Fadis. Uh, appreciate appreciate your time on that. Um, and uh, do you want to talk about your other projects? I saw you have actually worked on uh, a lot of other opportunities for Azure. Um, yes. So, so basically, one one other thing that uh, I, I have been working on lately. Um, it, it's not really. Um, you know, carved to stone yet, but I am planning to write uh, uh, a book, uh, and, and it will be related to network security. But that's really at its very early stages. So now I'm writing, I'm brainstorming ideas, and you know, talking with some publishers. So I'm not even sure if that's uh, going to uh, necessarily be a hundred percent certain uh, project. But it's something I have been contemplating uh, for some time. Uh, the other thing is that um, due to my to my work, I have been uh, also been doing some uh, research on medical devices and medical device security and healthcare institution security in general, and that's a really interesting field because uh, first of all, you know, a lot of medical devices are really um, uh, sensitive, as I said, to network scanning, and not just that they're uh, they are quite old and there's also a problem there that by the time they are approved by the FDA and uh, are in the market, they are already using outdated software, outdated, outdated operating systems, really old security practices. So they're really easily exploitable and um, uh, makes them a very interesting thing to, to, to do research on. Um, uh, so that, that was why I actually uh, recently uh, developed uh, an NCRAC module for uh, the DICOM protocol. So DICOM is uh, one of the most prevalent protocols used uh, inside uh, healthcare uh, delivery organizations because it is uh, used as a protocol to transfer uh, medical uh, records and uh, medical images. It, it's actually uh, interesting because DICOM is, is at the same time both a file protocol and a network protocol uh, and it's quite complicated you can see that um, DICOM libraries uh, are fundamentally broken because I, because of the fact that it is so complex and you have to do a lot of parsing and we all know that you know parsers are the worst possible uh, you know thing to to, uh, to to write correctly without any bugs so you find all sorts of problems there um, so that's that's actually one of the, the my my side projects. Um, yeah, it's an interesting stuff. Yeah, uh, recently we also did uh, with uh, Paulino Calderon from Enmap and uh, Evangelos Dermanjonglu, who who has also who was actually a, a, my mentee during uh, the last Google Summer of Code. Uh, we did a presentation at DevCon China for. Uh, NMAP develop, NSC development and NPROC module development. So we might actually be applying for future conferences uh, in that. Um, and 
I guess one other thing is that uh, at some point, bef- I, I had taken a small break uh, as far as security is concerned. I, I had uh, uh, co-founded the startup that was uh, completely irrelevant to anything. It didn't have anything to do with computer security. It was uh, image processing, OCR, and then optical music recognition. Um, so that was that was uh, a couple of years ago, uh, which it was interesting because mostly it was development. It was actually uh, I was involved in the you know fu- full stack developer, so from you know the infrastructure uh, to the Android application, for example, or all sorts of, of things. So it it's like because it was a startup, you have to wear all hats and uh, do everything on your own. So it's uh, it was one of, of the inter of the you know interesting uh, past projects. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, um, keep applying for the uh, conferences. I think uh, that's an interesting area where I mean a community would like to see the uh, conference appearances on uh, in my workshops or in crack workshops. Uh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, very. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to the books. I have actually seen your uh, your uh, course um, on packet oh, packet yeah. uh, so for mastering. On, uh, master- was a nice content. Mastering and map. Yeah. Um, that that was uh, that, that's basically a course on uh, mainly using nmap. Uh, you know, showcasing some some uh, really handy tricks on effectively utilizing nmap and the nsc library um so yeah i i, I think it was, that was also a nice engagement uh, I, I had never done a, a video course before so i realized how time consuming it, you know hard it can be oh yeah yeah it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is but but i think it's it's a good self-learning also like you just recap the everything that you learned fundamentally um, oh, yeah. being in the same same field I think that that's cool yeah and, uh, it's a decent content also yeah I I, I think that and uh, you know writing a book or, or any, any kind of research because sometimes you know you take for granted some things and when you want to communicate that to other people uh, and you have to you know delve really deep into how it works you realize that sometimes yeah you you lack knowledge in some parts yeah v- very true very true. I used to teach uh, on network securities uh, earlier stage, and then yeah, of course, and MAPV is one of the major content there. And when when we actually teach to students, and we realize that we also learn a lot uh, from students uh, because there are a lot of areas we can explore in in NMAP, not just the options or not just the flags, but how it works in the background. Uh, and and the question that you get from them uh, is is really eye-opening sometimes uh, you you go back to your desk and see like what what was that question about and you you try to debug everything and see um, what's the actual uh, workflow behind when we use each and every single switches in nmap and that's a good uh, learning phase yeah absolutely absolutely um, big workshops um, trainings all, all these uh, sorts of things really help you master that knowledge even even more yeah, teaching is good learning. <laughs> True. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Thank. Thanks for this. Uh, thanks for your time. Um, yeah. Um, finally, uh, before we wind up, um, 
Okay, I started the the podcast initially with an idea that we have people in the industry um, on a larger amount, I would say, um, hesitant enough to actually code, or they would rather say that oh, it's very difficult to find a new idea to code. Uh, where we see, on the other hand, people actually reinventing the same code, but uh, I mean the same idea, but in a different uh, uh, different perspective or or a different um, uh, execution flow. um and uh, the the idea of this podcast is to have a conversation with each uh, tool developers um and to see their thought process of how to get into tool development and how to break that um um that self uh, bubbled zone uh, to get out of it and and then start writing code uh, do you have uh, any comments uh, to the community who are actually looking for writing new codes um so, so yeah one of the first things i i i'd like to mention in this uh, kind of discussion is that um yeah people should should not be you know afraid to reach out and um you know contact the the developers of 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 the different tools and um i mean th- there is this uh probably misconception that you know information security people are unapproachable or uh, i don't know sometimes uh, elitists um i'd say that that's a very small percentage um fundamentally you know most people they they actually i, I think they enjoy you know uh, having these kinds of conversations and uh, for example uh, on that note people shouldn't be afraid to you know ask for help or you know reach out to uh reports things that are uh that pertain to the different uh, you know open source tools so you know don't don't people shouldn't be afraid to you know report a bug because they might sound weird or they shouldn't you know um uh be afraid to ask for help when they when they encounter a problem as long as they uh do some some homework i mean that's usually one of the Uh, the pet peeves of, of many developers and uh if, like if if the other person asking for help has done some of their core homework beforehand so you know that you have that you shown that you understand that you have understood some things and, and that you are uh you had done your due diligence uh, you know done some research and you are stuck somewhere uh then the other person that might help you uh will appreciate that and there are much much higher chances of them helping you out and uh you know coming to to a solution uh, so I, i i think that's that's one of the most important things um also yeah as i said you know having um uh showing that you are interested by you know uh su- submitting your own uh contributions wherever you can even simple bug uh reports uh even even you know brainstorming ideas like a feature request doesn't necessarily mean that that feature is going to be built because you know most of the times open source developers um l- like me and most other people I know they usually have full-time jobs uh, like development of the open source tools isn't necessarily their main job so they might not be able to 
you know, do that thing right away or, you know, reply right away. But it's it's actually, uh, I would say, inspiring and um, uh, very nice to, to have people reaching out to you and, you know, asking for, uh, for, for new features or new, you know, brainstorming new ideas because that shows that people are interested in, in your software and then you have even more incentive and motivation to keep uh, developing it and and I, I think that's fundamentally true for for everyone out there yeah yeah very very correctly said that um, yeah th- thanks for this thanks for your time thanks for for your valuable yeah. suggestions uh, and sharing your wonderful experience yeah thank you for having me it's it's been a pleasure thanks everyone for listening to the podcast we will talk next month with other tool authors and their experience. Bye-bye.